All right. All right. If you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up uh, to Matthew chapter 19. Uh, Matthew 19. If uh, you'd like to punch that up on your phone, you are welcome to do so. Uh, if you would like a free Bible in the back, we have some available for you. Uh, as you turn in there, let's, let's start this way. Uh, it, it's probably the most profound statement I will say today, I believe. Uh, oftentimes, uh, people can become confused uh, regarding what the Bible says about life with God and what it's supposed to look like. Uh, even well-meaning people can be very confused by it. Uh, we can confuse how we... Uh, we can confuse how He is, is calling us to live, how He longs for us to act as ambassadors of the ministry of reconciliation, as Paul will tell us in 1 Corinthians, we are. Uh, or just we can be confused about the interaction of, of living as aliens uh, in a world that's not our own, uh, since we have this promise of a residence in heaven. And, and some of the confusion surfaces when we read particular passages, really not the passage, but when those passages collide uh, with our lives. And whether that be in the lives we are trying to secure or, or build for our families or ourselves. And, and it's in these moments of confusion uh, that, that can lead us to turmoil in our hearts because we were brought before the steps of faith. Uh, as it collides with our desire for security apart from God. And I know all of you people who are here this morning, you don't deal with that, uh, of knowing, okay, God calls me to step out with Him in faith, uh, but, you know, I don't struggle with trying to create security for my own self. Uh, I don't have a um, security blanket, as kids would carry around. Um, and if you think that's not you, you're just wrong. Uh, and so, so where we are today, though, is going to bring us into uh, some of those difficult decisions when it comes, or, or really, crises of faith. Uh, for some, this passage will be fairly familiar to you. Uh, for some, there's going to be like one or two verses that are fairly familiar to you, but you're not going to realize, oh, it's in there. Uh, because there's, there's two things that are said here today that I think are cross-stitched in Grandma's houses. Uh, or put on t-shirts or bumper stickers, and you're going to say, oh, if that phrase, if that verse is said in the context of this passage, it changes in ways um, that I, th- I believe are even more helpful to us. Uh, or, or for some others of us here, uh, we're going to have to lean very heavily into the Holy Spirit as, as He untangles our beliefs about how God is calling us to, le- to live and to lead our families. And, and so, as we start, let's, we're going to begin with this powerful thought, uh, and it's really a prayer that I hope we will never depart from, is that, that regardless of what is said in today's passage, okay, there's this overarching truth over our lives, and it would be this, that God loves us so much in Jesus uh, that He acts on our behalf when we would otherwise be utterly without hope for rescue. Okay? So everything that Jesus calls out from us today is born in this beautiful reality that we can live in as believers. That God, out of His great love for us, has sent Christ to do for us what we are incapable of doing for ourselves. And, and so we, we start here because our defenses will want to 
set aside the great things that God does for us in Jesus. Our, our, our defenses this morning will want to build a wall, will want to justify and outright argue with the invasiveness of what God is calling uh, by, by, by living in the wake of His great love. And I think by remembering what He has done for us in Jesus, what He does for us in Jesus, helps keep our hearts soft towards Him. Okay, So when God tells us and, or calls us into a hard thing, our hearts aren't hardened because they remain soft because we remember what He has done for us in Jesus. Does that make sense? Okay, it took me a long time to get to that really short point. And so, so let's pray and then, and then we'll get going. Father, we thank You for the words that we just got to sing as a community of people who love You. That we get to come to You just as we are. And we thank You that You love us enough not to leave us in this state. We thank You that You love us so much that You have redeemed us in Your Son, that You've rescued us in Him. And I pray as we dive into Your Word, Your Holy Spirit would speak and that that car alarm would stop. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right. Everybody set your... Is it yours? If it is, just leave. Okay? Leave the girls here. So, okay, so we're going to start in 13, and we're going to go all the way uh, through 30. And what we're going to see is two scenes. Now, we're not going to spend equal time in them, uh, but, but I, I find that separating them really would be a mistake because of what is being presented to us. In fact, uh, Matthew, Mark, and John all tell this same account, and they combine these two stories. Uh, the, first one, the second one precedes the first. And, uh, and so, again, we don't have to devote equal time to each, but it doesn't mean there isn't something important for us to, to understand there's a connection. That, that when seen together, there's this principle at play for us to understand. And we've been walking through this over the past few months here in our journey through uh, the Gospel of Matthew. But it, it's this, that, that Jesus receives the humble and he rejects the prideful. Okay? He, he receives the humble, he rejects the prideful. And so we can better understand the, better, the manner that God is calling us to live as we kind of see this in action. And so let's go, uh, chapter 19, verse 13. Then, okay, so last week as Jesus has talked to us about marriages, uh, we transition into this. Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray, and the disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus said, okay, and this is important, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid hands on them, and he went away. Okay, really small scene, right? But, but it's a really beautiful scene at the same time. When we, don't, we don't spend considerable amount of time in it, uh, but, but parents, they simply want the blessing of Jesus on their children. And so they bring, them, they bring the kids to them. Uh, the disciples rebuke the people, I think primarily because they view these kids as nu- nuisances, uh, if that's the word, I think so. Um, uh, just, just th- They're not as valued as the adults, and so they say, hey, you don't bring as much to the table, so let's just kind of move along. Uh, and Jesus stops them because he's teaching two really important things. He's teaching the disciples how to treat all people, and then secondly, he's teaching us something really important about the kind of faith that that God receives. In fact, 
uh, we've, we've said some substantial things these past couple weeks about a childlike faith in the movement when we're in chapter 18, uh, where Jesus connects to us the importance of humbly coming to God like a child is dependent on their parents. And so Jesus always receives them. And it's this kind of humility that Jesus receives and he blesses in the Bible. And so, so when our hearts are most clearly seeing him, this becomes very natural. When we see Jesus and we see him exalted, our hearts want to fall in submission underneath him because we realize that there is no possible way anything else could be greater. No, no possible way. And, and again, it's not because we've grown and should pat ourselves on the back, but it's because we get to see these glimpses of Jesus more clearly. And, uh, and, and it's, it's this lack of vision that we're going to see at play here in these next few wor- verses. Verse 16. And behold, okay? So, so the scene is simply Jesus and the children lay on the hands. They went away. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher... What, and underline these next two words, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? It's a good question, right? It's a good question. If, he's got, if you've got one question to ask, right, he's, he's chosen a really solid one. What good deed must I do to have eternal life? And really, he's asking deed. He's not asking what good deeds. He's like, hey, one thing. What's the one thing I need to do? Uh, and... And so he, he says, how, how do we end up with eternal life? This is the question that really rests over all of us. And, and the most natural conclusion that, that we make as humans is that this is to be earned. Right? That's what he says. What, what good deed? What do I need to do to earn uh, eternal life? And, and, and we can run into this issue of trying to make this a transaction. And, and we think this... Uh, because this is the natural course of all of our other relationships, right? And so, so people earn their spots in our hearts based on what they have done. Uh, and we earn spots in people's hearts based on what we have done for them or, or to them. And this guy is very similar, very, very much like us, in that he asks a question about movement before he asks about commitment. Okay? He asks this question about movement. What, what movement do I need to make in my life? to gain eternal life, not what do I need to be committed to. Uh, and so, so what deed, what action, what, what transaction can I make that will end up with me having eternal life? In verse 17, Jesus is going to respond, and he, being Jesus, uh, said to him, being Ralph, okay, we're going to call him Ralph today, um, says, why do you ask me what is good? Why? Why do you ask me what is good? There, there is only one who is good, and if you would enter life... Keep the commandments. Okay? And now this is... We need to be very careful about the ground that we are walking on because we don't want to misunderstand what's being taught. Uh, Because there's this danger here in believing that Jesus has just told this man that by keeping the commandments, uh, you can gain eternal life. That by following these rules... and, And really, this would be the case if that... Instruction wasn't given as the second part of verse 17. Uh, in fact, what he, what he begins with, he poses a question. Why do you ask me about what is good? He says, there's only one. There's only one who is good. And the connection is this, is that, that God is good, and only in understanding His infinite goodness 
that the young man, that Ralph, can discover that human deeds cannot earn eternal life. That, that in just a moment, Jesus is going to, to reveal just how far short this guy comes or falls in keeping with, with just the two greatest commandments. And, and the point made here is that, that obedience to the law uh, or to the commandments uh, is this expression of belief that God is truly good and that He is the source of all that is good, including eternal life. That it, o- it only comes through Him. And we're going we're gonna to see this kind of unfold over these next few verses. Verse 18, He said to him, Okay, so Ralph says to Jesus, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother. That's your Father's Day lesson, by the way. Honor your father. Uh, it's in the Bible. Uh, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? The young man said to him, said to Jesus, I, All these I've kept. What else? What do I still lack? Okay, and, and it's a peculiar list that Jesus brings because, because what he does, if, if, if you know much about the Bible or just really if you've seen The Prince of Egypt uh, with Val Kilmer, the animated version, or the Charleston Heston, I don't know. There's a great debate and churches have divided over which one's better. Um, but, but Jesus refers to, he tells you six commandments, but he brings you five from the Big Ten. Okay, and now there's great balance in the, in the Ten Commandments. Because your first five deal with you and God, the second five deal with you and others. Okay, so Jesus, as he's speaking to Ralph, he says, "Hey, these bottom five on how we treat one another, um, keep those." And then he adds this this sixth commandment that you would love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this is kind of connects us. We'll see this uh, in chapter twenty-two, which we should be there at some point, God willing. Okay, um, somebody will ask him, "What are the greatest of the commandments?" And Jesus will boil it down to these two thoughts, that you would love the Lord your God with all your, all your strength, all your mind, all your soul, all that stuff, and that you would love your neighbor as yourself. He says, on these two commandments, all the law and all the prophets hang. Okay, so these two things are really important. So, so he gives us these five instructions that you don't, you don't murder, uh, you don't commit adultery, you don't steal, you don't bear false witness, you honor your father and mother, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He says, those things are important for you to keep. And, and, and what makes this a peculiar list, at least to me, is that Jesus begins by forcing this man to evaluate his care for others. And then he's going to reveal that he's still lacking in that. Uh, then he's going to really reveal that he's lacking in his love for God. And this is where it, start, it starts to get pretty good. Because here's what I, here's what I believe. Because Ralph says, I've done those things. In fact, those are the good six. I, man, that, that's good. That's easy. I've done those things. At least in my estimation, I have done those things. But then there has to be something resting inside Ralph's life, inside his heart, inside his spirit that says, there's still something that I lack. Or else he would just say, done them, thanks, high five Jesus, walk out the door. But what does he do? So I've done these things. What still... What still do I lack? And Jesus said to him, and this is where it gets kind of hard. Jesus said to him, verse 21, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, 
Give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Okay, so he gives them these, these instructions. That you would go, you would sell, you would give. Then you would come, and you would follow me. That's, that's, what, he, that's what he tells them. Now, we, again, this, this whole passage, it's like landmines. Okay? Because we can become very legalistic about it, or we can be very liberal about it. And both of those things can be very dangerous. Okay? Because, because there, there's two common errors with these verses. Okay? And depending on um, how good the tithe is, depends on how the pastor typically preaches it. Just letting you know. Okay? Tithe is low. There's a good lesson about, oh, you need to give to the church, right? That's, that's my old Baptist preacher voice. They all sound like that. They go to class in seminary. Um, but, but, but the errors are simply this, that, that we would wear these words, we would hear these words, and we would think that, number one, Jesus is speaking universally to all believers. Uh, that all believers should sell all their stuff, give it all the way to the poor, uh, and then that's how they are freed up to go follow Jesus, okay? And now, now, part of, I'm not saying that that's not what's being said here. I'm just saying that that's not universally being, what's being said. Uh, because we find places in, in the New Testament where people do have houses still, uh, where people uh, do care for the orphans or, and the, the widows and the homeless, uh, but they do so with the confines of their possessions, uh, we find that the disciples are taken care of by believers. Uh, and so, if they all sold it, then there would be a different, a different issue at play. Now, number two, uh, the other side of this argument is that we try to minimize what Jesus is saying here. And we say, well, he's just telling Ralph to do this. Uh, he's not telling me. He's not calling my family to evaluate what we have. He's not telling uh, my family that we should sell our house. And, and here's the thing. He very well might be. He very well might be. But if, if that is the case, that's between you and the adventures that God is calling you on. Okay? So, so we don't stand in judgment over one another with this verse and say, Hey, you know, boy, that new truck that you just bought, Chris Sweeney. Um, my truck, by the way. I have like one truck that I want in my life, and Chris stole it from me. Um, I thought it might be a Father's Day present for my family, um, but no... Um, but we don't stand in judgment over that. Okay? Because the possessions isn't the root of the problem. Okay? And here's what you need to hear. Having stuff isn't the root of the problem. What that stuff represents in your life is. Because you can be very poor with very little and yet fall into the same trap as Ralph here. Okay? And we're, we're going to find that out just in a second. And so, so either way... This is, this is, I, I think I, we lean towards a great application and understanding that if we've been found in Christ, okay, if you are a believer of the gospel, if Jesus is both your Lord and your Savior, I don't know how many more ways I can say this, it's a big deal. If you are found in Christ, our possessions become a stewardship of honoring God. Okay? That, that He owns it all. He's just letting you take care of it. He's letting you be the manager of it. And so Jesus gives Ralph the answer to his question, and he promises. This is what I love about it. He promises an incredible reward for taking steps in his direction. In fact, what does he say? Let's, let's look at it exactly. He says, you will have treasure in heaven. Okay? 
You will have treasure in heaven. And the tragedy of the story is that this man gets his answer, but it's not the answer that he's wanting. And it's not the answer that he's looking for. And this is good news for us. Okay? Because, because I, we fall into the same trap, do we not? That, that we want to ask God a question and we want to um, celebrate it when he only answers it in the way that we've told him he could answer it. But yet, Jesus says, that's, that's so small. That's so small, Ralph. In fact, verse 22, this is a tragedy, I think. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful. And he said, oh, well, why? For he had great possessions. He had great possessions. And th- these are hard words because they invade and they expose us in ways that we tend to try to mask. Uh, that, that we have to deal with the very real dangers, uh, dangerous and very deadly nature of our desire for possessions and, and why we want those things. Uh, and then as it collides with our desire to please God. In fact, Paul uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 6 puts it this way. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into to many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Now, have you ever said that word, that phrase, that you just said it in a, the love of money is the root of all evil? That's not it, because there's a lot. There's a lot of roots when it comes to things that are evil. He says, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. And so, so in our sin, in our sinful nature, we are naturally drawn to trust uh, in, our, in our own resources rather than to trust in the one who is all-sufficient. Okay? That, that's very natural in our old ways. Uh, that, that this is dangerous. It's a dangerous game to play because we trick ourselves toward claiming that it's God's, right? Even as believers, well, it's all God's until He decides to do something with those things that you say, oh, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't want to do it that way. And God says, no, no, no. I thought you said this was mine. Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, no, no. It is, but it's not. We, we do this with Barak. He, he saves money. I don't know how he does it. There's something wrong with him. Um, but, but let's just suppose that Barak decides, hey, I want to buy a machine gun with the money that I owe, that, that I've raised for myself. As a parent, I look at him and say, no. And he's like, well, but it's my money. And I'm like, yes, but it's really not your money because I'm bigger and stronger than you. And at any point I want, I can take it away. Okay? And so, so God comes in and he says, listen, Ralph, you have great possessions. You have great possessions. But it's, it's a stewardship. It's mine. And I think if we looked at our bank accounts at times, there are moments when we can see that at play. Then there are other moments when we say, well, well yeah, it is God's as long as He doesn't mess with it. Then it, then it becomes, about, becomes about me. And so... We're going to transition into to a new conversation, but, but I want you to realize this, that this isn't a passage attempting to make you feel bad for having cable television, okay? Uh, and, I, and I apologize if somebody's got up and presented that to you and told you that you were sinful and you were evil because you have cable. Um, now, there could be some sinful tendencies. That's a different discussion for another day. 
uh, I, I don't want to stand here and tell you you should feel bad if you have multiple cars in your home. I don't want to make you feel bad if you have air conditioning that works some of the time in your home. That's, that's not the purpose of this. I don't, I don't want you to feel bad about saving for your retirement. Because I could take you to places in the Bible where it talks about the importance of saving for a later date. Um, but what's being brought into the front of us this morning is how tightly we hold on to these things when God calls us into adventure with Him and those things become very unsettled. Because that's, what, that's what's happening. Ralph comes up to Jesus, right? Jesus says, sell it all. Come follow me. Come, come into this adventure with me. Come explore just how deep and how abiding the love of God is. Sell it all. And he says, I can't let go of it. And that's the problem. It wasn't that he had stuff. It's that he couldn't let it go because it became him. And that's, that's the problem that rests over us when we collide with these verses. Because all of a sudden, we have to deal with some of our own insecurities and where we are finding security. And so, in verse, verse 23, And Jesus said to the disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty... Will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven? Again, I tell you, and this is fairly familiar, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, now I grew up, um, and I don't know where, this is where you just kind of believe whatever the guy on stage says, okay? Um, but I grew up with this uh, learning that, that the eye of the needle was this specific gate in Jerusalem where camels would have to go through, but it was really difficult uh, and painstaking because the camels would have to stoop really low and, and it was a hassle. Um, now, as I've read some commentaries, it's remarkable how many people say, oh, that's not altogether true. Um, that, and when we see the context of it, I think it supports that uh, we're not talking about a gate and a camel, uh, that we're talking about a camel and a literal eye of a needle, something much smaller. Uh, because Jesus is going to refer to impossibilities here. Uh, in a moment. And so, um, verse 25. So Jesus says, it's, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. In verse 25, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished. Just amazed. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I've, I was held up this week at that interaction, at this reaction, I should say. That when was the last time I heard Jesus say something and I was just astonished? Just mesmerized by it. So they look at him astonished and they say, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and he says this, and, and this is our cross stitch or our bumper sticker or our t-shirt that we like to wear. With man this is impossible, but with God, what? All things are possible. All things. And they are. And they are. But now, I want us to stay just this morning in the context here. Okay? Because this is, this is helpful for us to understand a great truth about God's great love. That, that the question is, who can be saved? And the answer is, apart from God's grace, it is impossible. It is impossible. Not possible. Okay? That's what impossible means. No matter what you try... No matter how much you earn, no matter how much you wish it, 
it is not, you are not capable of it apart from God's grace. That, that in, in the Bible, wealth is often equated with God's, mer, uh, God's favor and God's blessing. If you're wealthy, well, then God must really like you. But if you're poor, then God must really hate you. And the problem with that conclusion is that, first of all, it's not biblical. Because Jesus does an incredible amount of miracles for people who apparently didn't deserve it. Right? And it had nothing to do with their bank account. Exactly. Somebody just got body slammed back there. Let's just hope it wasn't an adult who did the body slamming or got body slammed. Um, And the point of the passage is this, that, and this is what Jesus is telling us, that, that God brings us and woos us to himself. He calls us to himself. Because the question was the other way around, wasn't it? How can I get to there? And Jesus looks and he says, with man, that's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So it's God who turns that around and he says, I am bringing this to you. And now what you need to learn is that that's not, and we're, we're going to get here in a second, that's not based on you. And so, so verse 27, or else I'm just going to keep rambling about this. Uh, then Peter, okay, anytime Peter opens his mouth before the Holy Spirit, it's always a fun game to play because you never know. He's either brilliant or he's idiotic. Uh, that's the story of my life. I'm writing a book, my memoirs, idiot or brilliant, who knows. Um, so he says this. We have left everything and followed you. Okay? What then will we have? Such an honest question, right? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, okay, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, so as Jesus comes back, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now this is a very specific reward for these particular men. Okay, this involves the twelve disciples. Okay? Now, you're like, oh man, that would be awesome if I could do that. Well, maybe, maybe not. I don't know what you're going to have to do. Um, but, but verse 29, And everyone, okay, so this is including all believers, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a, what's that? Hundredfold. Well, TV preachers like to use that word a lot, you know. We'll receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life, but many who are first will be last and the last first. So he brings us back to humility. Brings us back to, it's not a competition. Okay, and so, so here we find this general reward for all believers. And again, there's another dangerous landmine that we have to step around here um, that that we can wear these words and think that that if we make movement appear more important than the commitment. Uh, that uh, Jesus is not saying that we forsake our families or abandon our kids, okay? He's not doing that because we can go, again, we can go to other places in Scripture where it talks about the importance of being a godly parent. Uh, we can talk about the importance of being uh, a godly brother and a godly sister in Christ. Um, we know this uh, because of, of those things. The point that Jesus is making uh, is that the ultimate pursuit of our lives is Him. That it's all His. That we would be willing to adventure with Him as supreme, not secondary. 
You with? That, that sound fair? Um, that, that, that we leave it all because even in our best life without Him, we are still utterly incapable of doing life in a better way. Uh, that, 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 that here Jesus promises support and reward for those who live this way. So it's a great reward when you live life in the wake of my love. When you follow me above all other things. And this is dangerous, right? Because there's a lot of really good things we want to make ultimate in our lives. Right? There are a lot of things we can lose our identity in. And they be good. Right? We've seen the tragedy and we've seen people who wear the scars of when their identity is something that is bad or dangerous or deadly. Right? We've seen that and we've cried with people and we hurt for people. But there's also this other side that's really dangerous that, that you can make becoming a husband ultimate in your life. You can make becoming a parent the ultimate thing in your life. You can make becoming the best employer or employee the ultimate pursuit of your life. And the point that Jesus is making is that no, 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 no. All of those things become secondary to this one thing. That when you leave it all, and when your grip is much looser on those things, then you can take hold of something so much more powerful, so much more fulfilling. So let, let me give you three things. I, I had to print the talk notes before I wrote the points this week. Uh, and so Swan's going Swan's gonna to help us out here. Uh, number one, here's three thoughts I want to carry. Uh, you went too fast. I wasn't there yet. Yeah, but that was in theory only. Uh, number one, that, that salvation is a free gift of divine mercy totally devoid of human merit. Totally devoid of it. That, that quite simply, salvation is impossible without the mercy of God. And this was what the guy was asking, right? How can I? How can I earn that? How can I? And the good news for unbelievers and believers uh, is that all of us live our lives relying on God's mercy and not on our own works, not our own efforts. In fact, there's a famous passage in Ephesians chapter 2 it says it this way. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. Uh, it's the gift of God. It's not the result of works uh, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship. That we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in the... Excuse me, that was a hiccup. Uh, number two. Number two, now you can go. Pay for good help. You just don't get it. Jesus' call to salvation demands radical surrender. Demands radical surrender. Salvation is not an invitation to pray a prayer. Okay? That's not it. That, that salvation is a summons to lose your life. To, to let go of everything you have and everything you are in submission to Jesus. Okay? And this, this man wanted in, right? Ralph wanted in, but he wanted it in different terms. He wanted to create the context through which he found his own salvation. He, he seems to not mind giving up a portion of himself. Right? I've done all those things. I, I've not murdered. I've not committed adultery. I've not bared false witness. I, I've, I've, been, I've treated uh, people the way I'd want to be treated, the golden rule, you know. Uh, I, 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 
he, he didn't mind avoiding doing things that would damage others, but when it, his treasure is exposed and he's told to loosen his grip on it, he knew in that moment where his true love rested. He knew that. And this was a problem for him. And the call of the gospel, okay, and gosh, I, I want you to hear my heart when I say this. The call of the gospel is to come and die. That we die in Jesus' death and we live in Jesus' life. That's the call of the gospel. And anyone who wants to sell you on something lesser than that is preaching a false hope to you. Because Jesus is worshipped as Savior and He's worshipped as Lord. He's not Savior and buddy. He's not Savior and, and good luck charm. He's not Savior and just this, the, the token that you get to carry around on your neck. He is worshipped as Lord, and as Lord, He demands total surrender. Okay? And if I wanted to sell you Jesus, I assure you, I would find a much more convenient way to do so. I would try to tell you that what Jesus really wants in your life is you just to be happy. That he wants you to high-five all your friends because that's what he wants to do with you. And that's not the call of the gospel. Can't You can't show me that in the Bible. The good news, you know, this is the good news. And this is the problem that we have. Because we hear that, right? That Jesus demands total surrender. And we're like, well, that's too much. He's asking for too much. That's, who is he? Well, he's your Savior, and he's your Lord, but that's beside the fact, right? But, but really, it's not that he's asking for too much. That's not the issue we have with that. The issue is that we don't trust that he won't abuse that kind of power because we've never seen it done the right way, apart from him. Right? Let's just let that rest. Our issue with total surrender is that we don't believe that He won't abuse it. And the beauty of the gospel is that for God to remain true, He can't abuse that power. He can't. Because the moment He abuses it, he, He no longer carries the holy and the just characteristics of God. So everything implodes. Number three. Jesus' call to salvation guarantees radical reward. Radical reward. Jesus wasn't calling this rich young man away from treasure, but rather he's calling him to a greater treasure. That was the promise. Right? The Bible describes it this way, that, that the treasures we have on this earth will soon be destroyed or it will soon be robbed by others, but we have, we can lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven that neither thievery, nor rust, nor moths can destroy. Right? So you're like, there's no moths in heaven. Right? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe they're doing something else there. Um, So the question for us is whether we will live for short-term pleasures, or really short-term securities, or if we're going to live for long-term treasures that we can't lose. That's what's on the table. And we don't want to miss the reward in Christ because we want more stuff in this world. Because Jesus is infinitely better than, and His reward is infinitely larger than. And then in verse 29, we see what a wise investment of our, for a radical surrender is. Jesus 
says that our return will be a hundredfold. Hundredfold. That's a radical reward. Okay? So, so as we wrap up, as we wrap up, this, this is kind of where, where I want us to circle and land. Again, it's not bad that you have stuff. Okay? That's not the intent of the passage. And if I wanted to abuse you and load up my spiritual bazooka, we could do that and we could all walk out of here just bloodied and bruised and limping out. But we would miss the point of what is really being said. Because everything being told here is about where we find our security. Where we place our trust. Do I believe that Jesus has brought me and blessed me for the glory of me or for the glory of others? Really, I'm sorry. For the benefit of me or for the benefit of others? For the glory of His name. And when our hearts collide with that, that can be hard. That can leave us a little bloodied and bruised. Because <laughs> we have to reconcile some things in our hearts about how tightly we are holding on to certain parts of our lives. The beauty of the gospel is your identity is no longer you. It's first and foremost that you are a child of God. That you have the provision and the protection and the blessing of God our Father. You have been adopted. Those are the things we should be astonished about. Those are the things that should keep us up at night, not in worry, but in celebration. That my heart is His. He has breathed life into my deadness. And so when He says, when I see His goodness, and then He says to go and sell it all, or He says to go and take that step in that direction, or in that direction, or to do this, or to make that change, or to repent of that sin, or to do whatever those things may be in His life, that you would gladly and joyfully do those things. Because you recognize that with man, those things are impossible, but with God, all things are possible. That we would walk in the light of His salvation each and every day. Our desire this week is to love God by... Please stand with me. As we do a reprise and before we dismiss you need prayer this morning we want to pray with you Keith and Kim and Troy and Jessica they'll be up here they want to pray with you maybe you've never given Jesus your heart maybe that's why there's always this 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 difficult balance between what God is calling you to do and and what you want to do and maybe today is your day of salvation Maybe today is the day that you walk into a glorious day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have carried us out of death into life. That our steps are not our own. And Father, I pray you would remind us of that. That our steps are not our own. Our story is not our own any longer if we are found in your Son. So everything that we have, 
and all the smaller kingdoms we're trying to build, Father, I pray you would crumble them and we would joyfully, joyfully give them to you. Because you are worthy of all praise. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.